Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Desi, take it away. Um, first up, we would like to thank the people who contributed over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. They have subscribed to our feed over there where they get ad-free episodes, bonus content, uh, a Mysteries and Macabre show, movie reviews. There's tons of crap on there. <laughs> <laughs> and crap, I say that as a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, so this... Week, we would like to thank Kara, J Mac Dog, Monica, Sherilyn, Helen, Heather, Tony Leslie, Angela, Claudia, Leticia, Jen, Nicole, Natasha, Kenz, Michael, another Michael, Amelia, Goldman, Mackenzie, Catherine, Hannah, Christy, Hanukkah, Helena, Lindsay, Stephanie, Beth, and Peyton. Thank, Thank you, you all so much. Desi, this is part two of Ala Nazimova. My main source for this episode is the book Nazimova by Gavin Lambert. And I used a lot of old newspaper articles as well. This is going to be a three-parter because there's a whole chunk. There's a whole important chunk we got to get to next week. The hotel. The hotel stuff. Okay. But where we last left off, Ala has been getting rave reviews on Broadway. She starred in Hedda Gabler in a very unusual but critically acclaimed performance of that role. And that was in 1906. So in January of 1907, Ala Nazimova was starring in both Hedda Gabler and in A Doll's House, in the role of Nora. So she's doing more Ibsen. And these are to packed theaters. Right. She's selling it it out. She next tackled a comedy role in the play Comtesse Coquette. While she received many glowing reviews, there were still a few critics who derided her grasp of the English language. Oh. Alla remarked, If my performance is bad, please don't ascribe it to my poor linguistic abilities, but rather to my inability to act. But the large crowds she drew made her a star. And when she went on tour the following year, Alla had become a nationally known actress. The Yale Drama Department invited her to do a lecture about Ibsen. She spoke about the differences between Ibsen's women and Shakespeare's women, and of performing in Russia versus performing in the United States. Alla said, In Russia, you can make love on the stage in the wildest way, but you must not touch on politics or religion. Here, you have to be very conventional in lovemaking, but you can say anything you please about politics and religion. Following the tour, Alla took the proceeds and bought a house in Port Chester, New York. Ooh. Do you know where that is? I mean, no. Is it upstate? Yeah, it's like Westchester County. It was a small house on a big piece of land with a garden, an apple orchard, some horses, and a cow. Nice. She dubbed it Hutorik, which is Russian for little farm. Aw. And when Alda's sister Nina was destitute from her now deceased husband's gambling addiction, she invited her and her children to move into the house with her. Now, this is the sister who had long disapproved of Allah's lifestyle, mm-hmm. was pretty uptight lady. And who's the one who has a husband who, who dies with a gambling debt? Nina. <laughs> it was Nina. So Allah was nice to invite her and the children to live at the house when they had no money. 
They would stay there while Alla would continue her tours, and the older sister, who had long disapproved of Alla's life choices, was now being looked after by her. She love had- it. <laughs> I love when the black sheep has to save all the assholes in her family. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what happened. Nina had to hold her tongue when Alla's lover and co-star, Irish actor Brandon Tynan, came over. Ooh. She's like, oh, they're not married. I like that she still has these like moralistic judgments when she's living off of her sister. Right. It's like if you really have uh, you know, any sort of integrity, don't take her money. Right. <laughs> Alla was still legally married to Sergey, by the way. Oh, right. That's the man she married in Russia. That doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count in America. It's a different country. Yeah, no one knows. Uh So this wasn't proper, and Nina had to hold her Mm. tongue. Nina was like, God damn it. Because her sisters, she had a lot of lovers. Yeah, I bet. Both men and women. Nina and her children anglicized their names upon moving to the States. So Nina's son, whose name was Vladimir Levantin, became Val Luton. Oh, Where do I know that name? He is a horror icon, Desi. He produced and directed movies like Cat People. That's right. So if you are into old horror movies, look up the filmography of Val Luton. I was just looking him up like within the past six months for something. I don't remember what, but that's how I found out about him. Did something happen? Was <laughs> yeah, was like a movie being made about his life or something. There was some reason. I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And it was almost something I was like, maybe we can do a show on him like because he seemed really interesting. It, it is an interesting story. I would like to dig in more to his life because that's like the other... Because Ala was estranged from her sister for many years during her adolescence. Right. Um, and obviously they had like a rocky relationship because... Nina had like converted to Christianity at some point and she was just, and just overall she was just a lot more kind of rigid and like she wasn't like Allah who was sort of freewheeling and whatever. Um, But yeah, that Val Luton is Allah Nazimova's nephew. That's funny. I did not know that. By 1909, Allah Nazimova had brought Lee Schubert so much money that he renamed his new theater after her. He called it Nazimova's 39th Street Theater. Nice. And this wasn't a small black box theater, does he? This theater boasted 700 seats, fancy decor, and rose-colored velvet upholstery with like gold accents. Nice. So you know it's one of those cool as hell old theaters. The Palace Theater. Yeah. Yeah. It looks sick. It was also outfitted with the latest in lighting technology. The theater's debut show, Ibsen's Little Eilf, opened in April 1910 and starred Alla naturally. But the next few plays she performed in weren't that hot, and Alla decided not to renew her contract with Lee Schubert. Instead, she signed with Charles Froman when her contract was up. Now, Froman was the guy who helped her and the St. Petersburg players out right. when they first came over. But he abandoned them after Allah's lover and co-star Pavel That's right. was drunk as hell all the time. But now Charles is like, hey. She's a star now. She's a star. She's raking in a ton of money, and I want to sign with you. When Schubert discovered the news that she was going to sign with Charles Froman after her contract with him ended, he lost it. Ooh. And he did a press release in which he said, Madame Nazimova is to be stripped of the honors of having a New York theater named after her. The name Nazimova is to be dropped from the New York house, and it is to be called the 39th Street Theater. Wow. I mean, I get it. He's mad. (laughs) (laughs) He's big mad. At this time, Charles Froman had a host of stars as clients, including Billy Burke, that was the Wicked Witch of the West? No. Wait, that Glenda. was Glinda. Yeah. That was Glinda. Glenda. She was a huge like Broadway yes. actress. Yeah. Yes. John Drew and Ethel Barrymore. Ooh. But unfortunately for Alla, the part in the play that Froman said he would put her in next went to Ethel Barrymore instead. <gasps> wow. Because she was the bigger star yeah. and she had requested that part. So even though he planned, 
he was like, Allah, this is your next play. He like lured her with that? I don't know if he lured her with that, but he definitely possibly lured her with just the fact that he represented so many big people. Right. And he was offering her more money, obviously. But Ethel Barrymore, what she wanted, she got. She was a big star. Allah's next performance wouldn't even be back on Broadway. It would be in Utica. Utica. <laughs> That's like upstate, right? Yeah. So it's in Utica at it. And this play was an unknown play by an unknown playwright. The the playwright's name was Algernon Boyason. So this play is marked for success. Totally. <laughs> Alla was fucking bummed. That sounds terrible. The play was called The Other Mary, and it was panned. I love that title, though. <laughs> it's a great title. The Other Mary. <laughs> That's a great title for a gay bar. Yeah, totally. Especially if they're in a rivalry with another bar called Mary. Yeah, It's like, like a restaurant rivalry, but a gay bar rivalry. The Other Mary is going to open up on the other side of Santa Monica Boulevard across the street from Hamburger Mary's. Yes. <laughs> and they're going to be in a rivalry. That's the movie I'm writing. It's so good. But she would soon return to Broadway for her fourth month run in the comedy The Marionettes. Four month run in the comedy The Marionettes. And this performance was given rave reviews. In 1912, Alla starred in Belladonna with British actor Charles Bryant. The two grew close. Alla told her sister that she thought Charles was charming. Alla and Charles had nicknames for each other. He called her Alikins, and she called him Chumps. Ooh. He picked out that nickname for himself. Chumps? I don't know why. It's always weird to pick out your nickname. You can't do that. That's like the law of nicknames. Someone else has to pick out the nickname for you. And it's not always going to be a good one. No. You just have to take it. I mean, I guess I respect him giving himself sort of like a weird nickname. Yeah. (laughs) Because it doesn't sound very flattering. It's not like he was like, call me Stallion. Yeah. (laughs) Call call me Stud. (laughs) And although they were very fond of each other, the sexual chemistry was just not there. (gasps) Ala would later tell her girlfriend that they tried, but never actually ever had sex. Ooh. Despite that, Alla and Charles announced their marriage to the press. What? She said they had a small ceremony inside her New York apartment in December of 1912. So they had a deal. (laughs) Right? Yes. She's not marrying. I mean, it seems like maybe he couldn't get it up or something or had some kind of dysfunction. Well, no. Oh. Uh, So Alla tells the press, she makes this announcement I just married my co-star, Charles Bryant. We had a small ceremony inside my New York apartment, December 1912. But this ceremony never actually happened. Oh. Their marriage would be go on would go on to be classified as a lavender marriage. Okay. So that's why he he was it never was consummated. Yeah. Charles was suspected of being gay and Allah was bisexual, so I, and I and a bisexual woman who still wanted to sleep with women, so anything to sort of obscure both of their identities, right? Yeah, it would have been convenient for them and also good for their professional lives. And she probably still wanted to have sex with men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Days later, word got out to the press that this wasn't all his first marriage. <gasps> she confirmed this but declined to mention that she was still legally married to Sergey. Yeah, why bring that up? She didn't need to bring that up. <laughs> they don't need to know. No, she's, she's like, gonna... yeah, I was I was married before. Yeah. She would keep this secret for several years, but when she was found out, it was bad. It blew up in her face. I am genuinely curious about like the paperwork on stuff like this, like how it, especially back in the day, like obviously now there's records of things right. digitally, but how would anyone even know unless what was her husband's name? Sergey. Yeah. Like, unless he came and made it, he's like, we're actually married and here's the certificate, like right. some kind of dramatic moment where he reveals it. I was just thinking about how in much even more annoying paperwork probably was back in those days before things were digitized. Like, cause I hate doing paperwork now. I think like everyone does. Yeah. But back then it's like, has to go on like a ship. 
On like microfiche? Yeah. (laughs) Or like by telegram? I just feel like it must have been hard to reveal people's secrets back then. You had Uh, to try harder. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's not just like Googling something and pulling up their marriage license. (laughs) Right. Yeah. In 1915, Alla began performing on the vaudeville circuit in the play War Brides. War Brides was a one-act play written by Marion Craig Wentworth with a progressive anti-war message. A young Tallulah Bankhead saw this play and later said in her own playbill for a show she was in that, quote, her only theatrical training at 17 consisted of running away from home to see Nazimova's War Brides. So that's how much of an impact this show had on Tallulah, as well as many other people. This show made a big splash. Based on the play's message, Alla then became known as a new face of women's rights. Alla told the Brooklyn Eagle at the time, those women who don't believe in suffrage, they're not awake at all. In May of that same year, Charles Froman died on the Lusitania. Whoa. He was on that. Dramatic. I, my mouth dropped open when I <laughs> read that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like funny because... Those accidents were like rich people. Do you know what I mean? On these huge ocean liner type things. A Vanderbilt died with him. Yeah. So it was like, whoa. Like the Titanic. Yeah. Like a lot of very prominent people. If you like go look at like the prominent people who died on these like horrendous ship disasters, disasters, like the Lusitania and the Titanic, it's like. It's it's wild. Well, the, we heard, we know certain names, but then there was just a ton of wealthy people we don't know, right? Right. They're yeah. not like household names yeah. today, but it's like, oh, that guy. But the Lusitania was hit by a bomb or something or a missile the, or whatever. The Lusitania was torpedoed by a German U-boat. Charles Froman was among the 123 people who died aboard the ship. He was unable to evacuate in time due to his rheumatic knee. <gasps> which would have made it difficult for him to jump into a lifeboat. But before he died, he did manage to save some of the babies who were aboard the ship. Like he made them little makeshift life rafts. Meanwhile, back in New York, Allah's old flame from Paris came to visit. This is the artist, Maurice Stern. He stayed with Allah and Charles at her home in Port Chester. He later said that when he asked Alla if she really loved Charles, she said no. She then joked, I thought having him around would improve my English. <laughs> Don't have any reports on whether or not they fucked while he was in town. They, they had to. They Come had on. to. <laughs> she wasn't no fucking Charles. And they had a hot thing going, those two. Yeah. Right? He was the guy, he was the sculptor who proposed marriage to her after two weeks. Right. And he seemed super hot. Yeah. Friends of Allah's would later wonder why, if they weren't intimate or in love, did they stay together for as long as they did? One friend, the actress Josephine Hutchinson, posited that Allah was afraid of what her older sister would say if she ended the marriage. Another friend believed Allah was really in love with Charles just based on how she saw her act around him, although that could be explained by her acting skills. Right. Whatever the reasons were, it was clear that Charles loved spending all his money. Ooh. He got really into redecorating and remodeling the house. <laughs> That's the perk of a lavender marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she's the bigger star. Yeah. Raking in tons of money. Now she has this like cute house with this great property. And he's like fixing it up, fixing up the farmhouse. He made it gorgeous. Mm. Like he could have been on an HGTV show love with, it. with the additions that he made. I love when anyone discovers they have a knack for interior design and get really into it. I don't know why. <laughs> Do why people I'm, discover that? Yeah, I feel like I've seen that a bunch in certain things or like stories of people like old Hollywood stars who stop acting and then they get really into redecorating their friends' homes and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had a knack for interior design. Like I have my own style that I've always had and I don't have like bad, like I think I've made a nice little house for myself. But there's like those design tricks that interior design minded people just have that always seem so like, oh, ooh. well, it's also pulling all the 
elements together. Yeah. Where it's like head to floor to ceiling, uh, making this like impactful space or something. Like I'm always looking at my living room and I'm like, this needs something, but I don't know what. I need like a person who's interior minded to come in here and be like, you need a bench or whatever. Yeah. And that pulls everything together. No, I follow a bunch of interior designers and sometimes I am like, should I just hire someone for yeah. like an hour to tell me? <laughs> yeah, I need like a just like an expert to come in and take a look and be like, you need to buy this and it'll make everything will make complete sense. Right. Or whatever. You do have an unusual living room space. It's a weird shape like, or something. Because there's there's a lot of doorways you have to work around. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Because like, it's an old house. Yeah. And I like that. I just want to I just want to know how yeah. I can best style it. Whatever. Yeah. This is super interesting. Yeah. I'm look, I'm I bet we have a lot of interior decorating lovers who yeah. listen to this show. I wouldn't be I surprised. Love it. I look at a ton of it. So he's redecorating this house and he's loving it. While the house was being remodeled, Alla purchased a new apartment in Manhattan with two floors, one for her and one for Charles. Mm. At this time, Alla had become a, began a relationship with the American writer Mercedes Diacosta. This was Alla's first confirmed homosexual relationship. Mercedes had seen Alla in the play War Brides, and they were formally introduced to each other at a benefit for European war refugees in 1916. Alla was performing at this event, and 22-year-old Mercedes found her way into Alla's dressing room. Mercedes had been desperate to meet Alla all night. She described the moment that she saw Alla in her dressing room. She said she had taken off her fur hat but was still in costume. She had thick black hair, which stood out from her head, and her eyes were the only truly purple-colored eyes I had ever seen. Wow. That same year, Alla made her film debut at the age of 37 in the adaptation of War Brides. Her husband, Charles Bryant, was also in the film. This film was written and directed by Herbert Brennan and released under Selznick Pictures. War Brides opened in New York in November of 1916 and received great reviews. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle said, Nazimova has a most mobile face for recording emotional impressions, and her face should be her fortune in the movies, judging by her performance in the war picture. The movie ran only in New York before a wide release the following year in April of 1917. And this film made a ton of money. It grossed three hundred thousand dollars. Whoa! In nineteen seventeen, money. But after the start of World War One, the movie was pulled due to its pacifist message. Oh, this is an anti-war film, yeah. and America can't have that. No, while we're trying to go to war, gotta support the troops. <laughs> that was a big to do. Yeah, Louis Selznick, Selznick panicked and re-edited the film. So that it was set in Germany with like an kind of anti-German oh, message to yeah. make it sort of pro-America. Right. Like, oh, it's it's still like tragedies of war, but... We're not it, saying America's in the wrong or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And like also we're not saying you shouldn't go to war. Yeah. Um, if it's Ger- German or Germans shouldn't go to war. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like they, they add... I mean, this is... I was sort of like, wow, this is a tale as old as time because this still happens in Hollywood today. Oh, absolutely, especially in the early 2000s. Oh, my God. Like you weren't allowed to do anything that was, that was anti-war. anti-war. I mean, music videos were banned if they had an anti-war slant. The Dixie Chicks were banned <laughs> just from like that ro- one Rolling Stone cover or whatever. The concert. Yeah, the it, concert. Or something. Yeah. It's... Yeah, this is something that still happens today. The military actually, I don't know if you know this, but the military like will lend out tanks and shit for, as props and movies, but under an agreement that the movie is like not anti-military propaganda. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm sure I could have worded that more eloquently, but like, I think that that's that, a thing. I think that happened in Top Gun. I'm. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I think they worked in like in concert with with uh, the Air Force. I mean, the yeah. military has worked in a lot of different Hollywood films. Yeah. So, 
they obviously don't want like a anti recruitment message. Right. There was an ad in a Kansas newspaper, the Kansas Daily Gazette, that said, This picture shows why the United States is in this war to win. It shows the principle for which we fight. You may not understand why such an appeal is made that you buy liberty bonds, but when you see this picture, you will know. <laughs> so this sounds like it was just a totally different movie Yeah, at this point. That must be frustrating uh, if you're a creator. Yeah. Because you, maybe you don't want to make that movie or be in that movie. Well, right? and, the, and the woman who originally wrote the play yeah. that it was based on, her story's like completely different now. I mean, that's also typical. Right, of Hollywood, course. right? Before the film's edit, it was banned in some states, like in Maryland, where it was banned on the grounds that it could incite an anti-draft, anti-military recruitment sentiment. Selznick appealed this following the edit, but in 1918, Baltimore judge Henry Duffy upheld the ban. So even after the edit, he's like, I don't want it. Still, well, you know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) After... Seeing Alla in her latest play, which was called Seption Shoals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by Sean Connery. Sean, Sean Connery Sception wrote Shoals. the play. Seption Shoals. You try to read this. You try to read that. It's Okay, it's apostrophe, Seption. So Seption. Like Inception. Uh-huh. Apostrophe, Seption, Shoals. Exception Shoals. Exception Shoals. <laughs> Look, I, I would have workshopped that title a bit more. <laughs> it's too hard to and say. And no one wants to say that when they're getting a ticket. I'd like to embarrass Shoals. Please. And Stompinato. <laughs> Stompinato would also like a ticket for Exception Shoals. <laughs> see what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> so this play, uh, Seption Shoals was seen by a young actress named Ava La Gallienne, who, after seeing Alla star in this play, became infatuated with her. Ooh. Alla had recently amicably split from Mercedes de Acosta, so she was on the market. Yeah. Like her introduction to Mercedes, Alla met Ava for the first time when she came into her dressing room after one of her shows. And this attraction was immediate. But... They would have to part for a few weeks as Allah was set to go on tour again. And that's where we'll take a quick break. Okay. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. While on tour, Ala befriended 29-year-old actress Edith Luckett. She was a foul-mouthed woman who loved dirty jokes. A few years later, Edith would give birth to her only daughter, Anne Francis. But you may know her as Nancy Reagan. What? (laughs) She fucked Nancy Reagan's mom? Well, they... (laughs) (laughs) We don't know if they fucked. Oh, come on. They... This isn't, there wasn't, of course people speculated, but there wasn't any confirmation that they ever had sex. But this was a dirty woman. She was like Allah. You know you're dirty if your last name rhymes with fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) She, I wouldn't be surprised if the reason Nancy Reagan became the throat goat was like osmosis from her becoming, like Allah became Nancy's godmother. I think here's what happened. Her mom was a cool hoe. Yeah. And that's why Nancy had to rebel by being a conservative bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious, right? I I get it. Because it's the only way. But she still genetically... A throat has has some sexual prowess because she, you know, inherited that. Yeah. So she used it to gain power. That... (laughs) That throat goat Sorry. talent is passed on through generations. Yeah. Is that what happens? Well, I, I don't know if the mom, did the mom uh, fuck women and men too? I think the mom just fucked men. Oh, oh, because we don't know that they We fucked. don't know that her and Allah ever fucked. Got it. But they were so close. They became so close for a time that Allah became the godmother right. to her newborn child. Got it. Nancy, who okay. became Nancy Reagan. So then, yeah, it is inherited. <laughs> it could be inherited. Yeah. Because you know a dirty woman, she likes to take one. <laughs> she, she can go all night on that. She can go all night. Yeah. Alla and Edith remained friends until Alla's death. And letters sent to Edith from Alla show that Alla was open to Edith about her relationships with women. And Edith's fine with it. Yes. Yeah. That same year, in 1917, Alla was offered a five-year contract with Metro Pictures. She earned $13,000 a week. Wow. 1917 money. Damn. She was earning more than Mary Pickford, (gasps) who at the time was one of the biggest stars. Yeah. This made Alla the highest paid film actress of the time. As we discussed in our Thomas Ince episode, remember that? Yeah. At this time, the film industry had been transitioning from operating in New York over to Hollywood. Right. And so before Alla herself made the move out west, she starred in two new pictures, Revelation, which was filmed mostly on location in New Orleans, and Toys of Fate, which was filmed at Metro's New York studios. In Revelation, Alla played Jolene, a sultry sultry cabaret performer, and her husband, Charles Bryant, played her lover. 
Charles really getting some work through Allah, right? Dude, they were in like so many movies together. Revelation premiered in February 1918 at the Lyric Theater in New York. Audiences at the premiere turned to Allah to give her an uproarious applause. The New York Times Union said, The whole house greeted her with shouts and hand clapping that did not cease until she had retreated from the box. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle called Allah's performance her finest screen achievement to date. A month later, Allah starred in a series of Ibsen plays directed by Arthur Hopkins, including revivals of A Doll's House and Hedda Gabler at the Plymouth Theater. She insisted on playing the role of 14-year-old Hedvig in the production of The Wild Duck. Nice. She's like 38, 37. Yeah. She's 37, and she's like, I'm going to play the (laughs) 14-year-old. They did that a lot, though. Yeah. Back then. They did. Because Mary Pickford played young right. ladies or children. But people did think this was really unusual. Oh. So despite her over 20-year age difference between her and the character, Alla being Alla, of course, made it her own. Yeah. Director Arthur Hopkins said on his decision to let her play the role, she was a slight person of no age and one actress who never had defined again the histrionic gifts of childhood. They had never left her. If anything, they had expanded with maturity. She was sensitive, timorous, and afraid of herself. Wait, is this a play or a movie? This is a play she's okay. doing. She's doing a series of Ibsen plays right. in, the, in the spring. So, I mean, I think a play kind of is more doable. Yes. Kind of like Evan Hansen. When it was in the movie, it's like, <laughs> you're, you're 40 or whatever. Even in the movies back then, you could get away with playing younger because it was like... It was not. black and white. It was and black it was and like, white and silent. Yeah. And they put all that makeup on yeah. and the lights. So the pancake look, yeah. makeup. So, of course, this performance was criticized by some. The Brooklyn Brooklyn Daily Eagle called it laughable, saying, In order to give realism to the age of the child, she bobbed her head and her hair kept getting in her eyes during crucial moments of the play. That's on nitpicky. Yeah. Another critic called her performance interesting. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of people who were like, it was... Ridiculous. It was silly. I mean, it sounds fun. It sounds great. The Times Union also remarked on the way that her hair kept getting into her eyes, eyes, but had more praise for her performance than others. Now, keep in mind, this play is a tragedy. It's not a comedy. (laughs) That is funny. That's funny to me. I think that's really funny, and I would want to see it. Me too. Like a 37-year-old woman playing a 14-year-old. And I hope everyone enjoys my performance of Annie one day, (laughs) (laughs) which will happen. I mean, look, I still believe that one day you can play Annie. Everyone believes. I think it's ageless. (laughs) It's sort of like how Roxy Hart is ageless. Yeah. Even though technically Roxy Hart's supposed to be like, what, 30? But like 60-year-olds can play Roxy. I think it's because it's just the it's a role people want to play, no matter how old they age out or are too young for or whatever. And I think it would be incredible if we had a sixty year old woman playing Annie. I'd go see that. I so would fast. go see that if Jean Smart played her. Or oh something. My. <laughs> like something like it would be fun. Or even like the time we did like a parody of Annie and my friend Brian, who was like in his late thirties at the time, played Annie in drag. That was like one oh. of the best shows I've ever done in my life. I did a musical number. I cast myself as Annie. Of That's course. the only time I've ever played her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I love that. Okay. I Where were love we? That. <laughs> Theater critic Rebecca Drucker Bernstein saw Alla in her 1918 revival of A Doll's House and wrote many years later about witnessing her acting on the stage. Nazimova was the first to appeal more directly to the emotions, and she introduced a new style of acting. She was very small, but so vivid, a great theatrical presence combined with an intensely inner analysis of the parts she played. After this series of Ibsen plays wrapped, 
Allah's second Metro film, Toys of Fate, premiered in May of 1918. The novelist, Fanny Hurst, was so enamored with Allah's performance that she sent her a very horny note. Ooh. And it said, Dear Nazimova the Unforgettable, Last evening was fairly exotic with the loveliness of you in cinema and flesh. Mm. Thank you for being you. We're neighbors. Why not a dish of five o'clock tea here soon? Just you and me, knee to knee. Why don't you come up and see me sometime? <laughs> they never met because all of them back on tour again. Yeah. I like, uh, wow, I mean, being an actor is like you get a lot of ass. Yeah. <laughs> Right? And Fanny, I don't even think Fanny was like queer. But they're like in love with you. Yeah. Even if they don't think of it sexually. Right. Yeah. By now, Ala had a lot of pull at Metro. And so she compiled a list of her demands ahead of her move to Hollywood. She's like, this is how it's going to go down. First of all, you're going to put my sister Nina on your payroll. (laughs) Fucking Nina. She's so good to Nina. I know. Nina was then hired to work in the foreign department at Metro's New York offices. She also insisted that screenwriter June Mathis write her next film, which would be an adaptation of the play Le Occident by Henry Kistemakers. He's from Belgium. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Yeah. June Mathis has an interesting story herself and perhaps deserves her own episode one day. She began her career as a child star on Vaudeville (gasps) and later toured with drag performer Julian Eltinge. By the time she was hired by Metro, she was just 26. And a year later, she would work for the studio under the title Artistic Supervisor, which was a position that no other woman in film had for many years. Mm. On top of all of that, June Mathis was a spiritualist, (gasps) very fond of seances, and she believed that the opal ring she wore gave her her best ideas. Ooh. So she's kind of a weirdo. Yeah. I feel like she'd be a fun episode, and so would her friend, the drag performer. Yeah. Charles Bryant would once again star opposite Alla in her film adaptation of La Occident, which was retitled Eye for Eye. Alla, of course, liked June for her bold sexual choices in her writing. They did a film adaptation of Seption Shoals. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in 1919, and June added an incest element to it. Ooh. <laughs> Nice. This is the, I read like the plot to this, and this is the incest <laughs> element that she added. So, in this, the the prologue of the film features Ala as a pregnant woman who is abandoned by her lover. Now she has a hyper Christian moralizing brother who shames her for this. But June's twist to the story was that her brother was like sexually obsessed with her, ooh, and very horny for her. Yeah. Then, after this mother gives birth, we get a flash forward to 16 years later, and Alla plays the 16-year-old daughter <laughs> for the oh rest God, of I the film. I want to see this. This is a dual role. We need to redo this movie. Like, this is like the movie you redo, not something that came out 15 years ago. Like, Why aren't we redoing this? Yeah, it sounds this amazing. Is a, with one actress playing the same yeah. mother-daughter role. This is perfect for Nicole Kidman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine Nicole Kidman at her age today playing a 16-year-old? That makes so much sense. Yeah, it would be great. We need to see it. After the 1918 film Eye for Eye premiered, Alla appeared on the cover of Motion Picture Magazine. Inside it read, With the advent of motion pictures, the public and the critics, as well as our editorial staff, have been eagerly looking for one artist who would embody everything that the art of the silent drama should have. The search is over. In Ala Nazimova, we have beauty. We have a depth of emotionalism never depicted before. And we have art with such little touches of finesse that she unconsciously stands alone. That same year... Alla bought a $65,000 Spanish-style house at 8080 Sunset Boulevard, right across the street from where the Chateau Marmont would be erected around 10 years later. Mm. At the time, the Sunset Strip was rural, with farmhouses, avocado orchards, and other crops and gardens and such. 
All his property featured an orange grove, palm trees, and a lily pond. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Alice spent tens of thousands of dollars remodeling her new abode, which she nicknamed the Garden of Allah. She expanded on the plant life, adding a rose garden, among many other plants and flowers. The interior of the 40-room property was decorated with carved mahogany and rosewood, teak floors, and and a tiled hallway, vaulted ceilings as well. Mm -hmm. The living room had a fireplace, a grand piano, and purple velvet couches. In the garage was a Rolls-Royce that husband Charles Bryant drove her around in. She couldn't drive. He's still around? He's still... (laughs) (laughs) It's like Sunset Boulevard. He's like the butler at some point or something. He's like living high on the hog. Totally. Because it's all his acting roles. He's acting in every movie with Ala. And then has her money. And he can redecorate this house with her and make it... Super cute. And buy like the most expensive materials. Yeah. Yeah. And he's driving around in this Rolls Royce and mm. like all she asks is like, can you drive me to the studio? Because I can't drive. Yeah. Seems like a deal. Sounds like a great life, to be honest. This house was, of course, big enough that Alla and Charles had their own separate bedrooms. Nice. Charles was officially a beard at this point. For Alla hosted her weekly girls-only pool parties at her house. <laughs> On the weekends, Alla would have dinner parties with celebrity guests, including Valentino, Norma Talmadge, and Lillian Tashman. These guests came to know Alla's home as the 8080 Club. We'll talk more about their parties next episode. Ooh. Wait, what is it called? The 8080? 8080. Oh, 8080. Like after the address. Oh, right, right, right. Alice settled in nicely to her new home, writing to Sister Nina, It is wonderful. I look through my window and there peep out white villas like in Yalta, mimosa trees in our garden in full bloom below. Charles rides a good deal in the canyons and brings delicious honey, which the people living on top of the mountains sell. There are thousands of beehives for the sage honey and Charles loves it. And I'm drowning in pussy. Yes. <laughs> P.S. Sis. She should have ended it like that. I like how she's trying to like sell these wholesome points, which yes. are all true, but it's like... She's not telling the whole she's story. She's not telling the whole story about what's really great. <laughs> in 1919, Alda starred in her first comedy with Metro, The Brat. And again... Ooh, the dream role. <laughs> look, this... The like promotional images for this are incredible, and uh, I will post them okay, in our little thing. And Alla again played opposite Charles, who also served as an assistant director, though he wasn't credited for that. Hmm. Alla and Charles co-wrote the script with June Mathis. So you know it was good. Ah, I love June. I love June. The plot follows a Pygmalion formula. Grubby girl of low stock gets a makeover from a Mm, wealthy guy. Love it. She plays like a street urchin in it. Like a kid street dream role. She's like she's like forty at this point. All the acting roles I want are children. <laughs> that fall, during the theatrical run of the brat, Alla returned to Hollywood after a trip to New York with a young actress in tow. This was twenty-six-year-old Jean Acker, and she was not only Alla's newest protege, but also her newest lover. Jean would become another member of the sewing circle, which, by the way, was a term that Alla is said to have coined. Sewing circles, of course, were the groups of lesbian and bisexual actresses and writers who had to hide their sexuality in Hollywood at the time. Alla got Jean a contract at Metro and moved her into the Hollywood Hotel. At this time, Jean had become her own affair with another actress named Grace Darman, This is a woman that she would continue to see for years, even after her marriage to Rudy... Rudy... I was about to say Rudy Giuliani. I was like, wow. Is that his cousin? Why was I about to say Rudy Giuliani? Rudolph (laughs) Valentino. That took a turn. (laughs) He's really old. (laughs) That's a fucking twist. Oh, God. And I scrolled all the way back up. (laughs) I'm losing it. Nazimova was not happy with Jean's marriage to Valentino. Oh. In a letter to Edith Luckett, she said, 
Perhaps you've heard of Jean Acker's marriage. It was the worst thing she had done on top of all the other worst things she had done from the day we arrived here. You remember how I warned her that I would absolutely break with her if she did not behave? Well, we weren't here four weeks when she forced me to do it. She married a professional lounge lizard. That's... (laughs) (laughs) That's how she herself called him only one week before her marriage. Mm. So she got kicked out of the sewing circle? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But Gene Acker's life was really interesting too. And obviously so was Valentino's. Valentino for sure is going to be like a multi-part episode. Right. Because he was involved in like a murder scandal in New York. Nice. Look, we can't even get into that now. But next year, we'll do a Valentino episode. We should do like a um, silent film star month or something. There are so many. There's another silent film star I'm going to mention later that also has an incredible backstory that would just be so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of them did. I think it's because it was such early days and they didn't know they were going to be so famous or something. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them acted out and... And they're all weird artist tapes. Yeah. Yeah. Now this beef between Ala and Valentino didn't begin there with this Ooh. marriage. Prior to the marriage, Ala is said to have dissed Valentino at a popular Venice Beach restaurant in late October 1919. The restaurant in question was called the Ship Cafe. Ooh. And it was a giant <laughs> ship shaped. <laughs> ship shape? It was ship shaped? <laughs> it was fucking restaurant. I looked at a picture of it and I burst out laughing. It was literally in the shape of a ship. That sounds fun. <laughs> Off of a pier in Venice. Nice. And this was like a hot restaurant. It's like that, remember that Steven Spielberg yes, restaurant? Exactly. <laughs> it was like a submarine or something. Yeah, the submarine. This is like the fancy old school version of that. I would love it. Like an old sea shanty. I have the menu for the ship cafe pulled up right here if you want to go over it a little bit with me. Of course. This is a very big this is a pretty big menu. Is there seafood? There's a whole, yeah, there's seafood. There's a whole section that's just dedicated to like the different relishes they have. Ooh. Ready to serve. Clam chowder, clam broth, or consomme. Green turtle soup. No. Oh, this, and this is, this menu's dated 1913. So this is six years before Damn. Ella came. Boiled rock cod with egg sauce. No. broiled fresh mackerel with drawn butter baked barracuda a la italienne german pot roast potato pancakes yum wait comma potato pancakes braised ox joints joints (laughs) joints joints it's hot in here (laughs) braised ox joints with noodles that's, that's like probably tails. Probably, probably good. Similar. Yeah, like I a shreddy know. beef type deal. Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> In my Very out. professional. <laughs> breaded, breaded breast. <laughs> breaded breast. <laughs> breaded breast of lamb. Breast of lamb. <laughs> that's what it that is perverse. <laughs> <laughs> With tomato sauce, <laughs> turkey cutlets. Top sirloin, prime ribs or beef ajus, leg of lamb, currant jelly, mm. stuffed domestic dust, duck <laughs> with <laughs> apples. It's a very small font. I should have like enlarged this. Yeah. I'm just trying to read it. It's like so small. Sliced bananas and cream. That's for dessert. Sliced oranges. Fruit cake. Dude, I would fucking lose it if I saw this <laughs> dessert menu. <laughs> Sliced oranges? Fruit the fuck? cake. Okay, there's some better stuff down okay. here. English plum pudding, hard or brandy, hard and brandy sauce, bar de duc currants, bar le duc currants, red or white, mince pie, vanilla or chocolate ice cream with cake, apple pie, skinless figs. This is a very weird dessert menu. <laughs> Bread and butter pudding or pineapple. They have a ton of different veggie sides. They have steaks and chops. You can get a rump Ooh. chop. They have lots of different kinds of fish. 
this is a big menu. Yeah. Especially for the day. I don't know. It just seems like very big. But this was like a hot spot. And it had a dance floor too. Do we know what happened between them? Oh, I'm going to tell you. Oh, good. Of what happened at this restaurant. So... Ala was there at the Ship Cafe having dinner with Gene Acker, Charles Bryant, and Metro producer Maxwell Carger to celebrate the wrap of her most recent film, Stronger Than Death. There were a couple other actors who were at this dinner party, including actress Dagmar Godowski. Rudolph Valentino was not part of the dinner party, but was nearby on the dance floor when Dagmar spotted him. According to her, she invited him over to the table to say hi, but Ala became cold and <sighs> didn't say a word. When Valentino left the table, Ala angrily turned to Dagmar and said, How dare you bring that gigolo to my table? <laughs> now, this was before Jean and Valentino got together. Yeah. This was before they even knew each other. So Ala could have been hard on him because of the murder scandal that had just happened oh. in New York. And she's like, yeah. I don't know. It, was he famous yet? No, he, so. was, he was working at the Ship Cafe as a dancer. And he also was doing bit parts in I movies. See. He was like an up and coming actor. So maybe she heard things about him or something or rumors about him. Whatever. Like maybe he was like, you know, if he's a dancer, maybe he's dancing with women. I mean, he was in this, he was like in the press. It was a huge scandal. This like the murder, this murder case that he oh. was like involved yeah. in with the players in that. It was basically like his lover or he was, he, he was like the, what's the male version of mistress? Mister. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mister. Stop fucking my wife. (laughs) (laughs) He was the lover of this woman, this socialite woman in New York. And she was accused of murdering the husband. I see. And so he got embroiled in all of that. And he was like in the papers. Well, that's what I was thinking with his dancing. Maybe he's fucking these older women and it's like a hustle, like a side hustle or something for him. It could have been. That's why I I can't wait to do an episode on him. Yeah. Because he has a very interesting life. I didn't know he did this, like dancing before, yeah. like this sort of like whatever. I mean, he had a great bod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. Um, okay. I mean, he's so, famously handsome. He's like famously <laughs> very handsome. Uh, okay, so that happened at the at the ship cafe. But the next night... Gene Acker would run into Valentino at a party celebrating the wrap of a different film. According to friends of Valentino, he was feeling down because he feared his acting career was going nowhere. Mm. At the time, he had only played bit parts in films. Gene was apparently struggling between two women, Grace and Alla. Valentino's friend, camera operator Paul Ivanhoe, told him that he should get with Gene because it could help his career. And less than a week later, Gene and Valentino got married <gasps> on November 5th. Wow. On their wedding night, Gene panicked and locked him out of their hotel room. She's like, I can't believe I just married a guy. Yeah. This is crazy. So she ran from the hotel to the home of Maxwell Carger and told him she'd made a terrible mistake. Gene then dodged Valentino in the following weeks and refused to respond to this pleading letter that he sent her on the 22nd. While she was shooting the film The Roundup with Fatty Arbuckle, she refused to let Valentino come visit on location. Their divorce was eventually finalized in 1923. But a lot happened in between then, I'm sure. Right. Which we don't have time for today. Whatever transpired between Valentino and Nazimova... She wound up casting him not long after in 1921's Camille to star as her love interest. Ooh. So I guess they made up. Yeah. And that's a famous production. Camille, yeah. Yeah. It is. That's where we're going to leave off this week. We will be back next week to discuss Allah's later career and what became of the Garden of Allah. Yeah, I'm excited. And all the sick parties that happened there. Great. Can't wait. 
I'm, I know nothing about her. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, join our Patreon if you'd like to hear our episodes ad free or enjoy our bonus episodes that are not available on our free feed. That's patreon.com slash Hollywood crime scene. What else? And you'll be posting pictures on our Instagram. And I'll be posting pictures on our Instagram. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.